Welcome back to the podcast and happy Pride Month. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and her. We have such a joyful episode to share with you to kick off Pride. Before we get to that, we do have a little bit of business, a special opportunity that's coming to us and coming to students in the U.S. It's a free opportunity, so take a moment, learn more. Are you or someone you know a high school student that identifies as LGBTQ+. If so, Camp of Mathematical Queries might be the perfect summer opportunity for you. Camp of Mathematical Queries is a free virtual math enrichment program designed to tap into the rich funds of knowledge of the LGBTQ community and to provide a space in which queer and mathematical identities are affirmed as interconnected entities central to the teaching and learning of math. Throughout the camp, students will engage in mathematical problem posing and problem solving of tasks centered on the beauty and joy of LGBTQ culture and history. To learn more about this free enrichment opportunity, visit thequeermathematicsteacher.com. The link to learn more about that opportunity is over there in the show notes. I also want to remind educators that there is a special opportunity coming up for you, courtesy of the PTC, the Principals Training Center. You can join the incredible Cheryl Ann Weeks and Shannon Leone for culturally responsive counseling in the international school. That's on from the 11th to the 15th of July. To learn more about that, again, over there in the show notes, you will find more. Now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Um, I am Tamisha Williams. And I will tell you, when I thought about introducing myself, the first thing that came to mind was a resume. <laughs> so- I want to actually dial back and talk about who I am as a person first. Um, from Richmond, Virginia, that's where I am located now. I spent about eight or nine years away from Virginia, and so it feels good to be home. I'm a middle child. I'm a dog mom. I should announce that because Nemo may appear <laughs> vocally <laughs> in the background. Um, and also a wife to um, my wife, Marthea, who is a gardener, an educator, a musician. Um, so those are, yeah, the people side of me. I also love murder mysteries, old ones. I don't need all the gore and trauma, just, you know, justice. Give me <laughs> justice by the end of the episode. Um, but in terms of an actual introduction beyond a little bit about me, um, I have a background in art, education, and counseling. And those three areas really infuse the work that I do now as a coach and a consultant. Um, about a year ago, almost celebrating my one year anniversary, Um, I opened my own consulting company, Tamisha Williams Consulting, and am now working with educators on a more broad basis to examine their equity literacy, their racial literacy, and how those things impact their teaching and their leading um, and the work that they're doing with students. Um, Prior to that, I was in the field of education. I always knew since I was young I wanted to be an educator, but I was surrounded by educators. And I wasn't, I didn't have the passion or love for a subject the way that they did. And so I was like, okay, I know I want to be in education, but I want to support people beyond the classroom. I didn't know the positions that I held for the past nine years existed. Um, And so I just went into fields that, again, would help me get the background and then hoped that the position that I loved would appear. Um, And so I did college counseling, I did college admission. And honestly, those moments really cracked open for me, like, oh, this is what we mean by the education gap. When I, you know, drove up to my first K through 12 boarding school in Connecticut, 
that pause for me sitting in the parking lot and being like, oh, okay, wait, there are students who are five years old who have access to resources I never knew existed until I was in college. That for me really, I think, um, instilled a, a passion and education and access to an education and trying to eliminate disparities, um, which I say, but that probably brought the biggest misalignment, which I did over the past nine years, which is serving as a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner and in independent in private schools. And that sense of misalignment to not be in my public school setting, which I grew up in, and to be in spaces that exuded such wealth and privilege while also trying to do equity work was a challenge. Um, so it feels good now to be able to serve educators more broadly. So that's a little <laughs> of who I am and a little of what I do. Tamisha, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And again, in terms of you sharing your experience and your expertise broadly, a great place I think for us to start is talking about your brand new workbook, the From Within Workbook. Um, listeners, uh, Tamisha, I love how you you provide kind of um, a preview to that book. Uh, so again, we will make, make sure the, the link to your website is in the show notes so that folks can check that out. Um, and uh, again, your book is on that intersection of equity and social emotional learning. I'm hoping you might share with listeners how that book project um, became important to you and, and perhaps just share with us maybe, uh, you know, a core experience that, that shaped the authoring uh, of that workbook. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, the origin of that workbook, I will say, actually originated from my original workbook, which was authored in spring of 2020. Um, and so in the spring of 2020, if we dial back, <laughs> whew, um, what a like really a challenging, gut-wrenching moment. And at that time, I was planning on leaving my school to move back to Virginia. And I love creating summer reading opportunities for educators, not just like go read this book, but what are weight, like different modalities. And so that summer I was like, I'm not going to tell you all to go read a, a heavy book. I actually want to create a workbook and experience. And this workbook was born out of someone from the Austin Independent School District, their SEL department, actually seeing that summer workbook and saying, we need one of these for our district. And so they commissioned me to create a workbook that focused on the intersection of equity and SEL um, that they would use in their professional development. And I did that and theirs was, I guess you could say, um, situated differently. It, it was structured differently for their needs. But after creating it, I was like, this is something that again, more educators could use, right? It, it could serve more folks. So I took the past year to really rearrange that, um, to look through it. Most of the exercises that are in the original edition are in this one, but it has some um, some new pieces and reconfigured it for any educator to be able to pick up and use on their own without having a district have to walk them through it and have that background knowledge. And the passion for me is that in being in schools the past nine, 10 years, one of the things I recognize is that the first thing we do is we learn a new, well, we don't learn a new skill. We hear about a new skill and we say, these young people need this. And then we say, let's teach the young people this. And then I look around, I'm like, but we're not exhibiting these skills as adults. So how are we actually teaching the young people 
to have self-management? How are we teaching them about regular self-awareness? How are we teaching them about, you know, um, enhanced relationship skills when I'm watching us be petty with one another, cut each other down, not be understanding and empathetic with one another. And we can't then do justice work and liberation work and equity work with that as our mindset and those as our ways of being. And so my hope with this workbook is that it really asks the adult to do the work first and continuously while we're trying to also engage our young people in this work. Um, that's really what, where it was born out of. I love that. And, you know, of course, this episode is airing at the start of Pride Month. And, yes. I, you know, I think they're looking to us to see where is this learning within our own practice, you know, and they notice they notice and school leaders, your staff, they notice, they notice what you're doing and they're looking to you this month. So this is great. Your website, of course, offers many resources, many entry points for, for folks who are hearing that call. They do want to bring this work into their own personal practice. Again, listeners, that link is there in the show notes. Do explore it. Um, on the page, when you identify how you collaborate with clients, it says you center joy and play. Yes. Love that. Um, can you just expand a bit on that and, and why it matters to you? Yeah, I guess the first thing for me is as I'm trying to do more work around understanding this kind of culture of white supremacy, right? Um, one of the things I recognize is that I feel like we're supposed to be in a state of suffering, right? Like it's we're everything's supposed to be a struggle and labor, right? And that that's also supposed to be our way into this society. It's like, what, what product are you giving me? What work are you giving me? What struggle in order to then achieve maybe, right? And so that's the first thing I'm recognizing is like, that's actually not like our human condition. We are um, communal beings, right? We are social beings. And why do I want to be in community that doesn't have joy <laughs> or play? And so I think for me, one of the pieces that I recognize, again, just being in, I've been in K through 12 schools, multi-divisional and one divisional. And I noticed so quickly when play gets squashed out of the classroom right? Being in a high school set alone, you recognize it's like, who's laughing, right? Why are you playing in the hallways? There's no recess time. You better be studying and working for the next. I'm like, wow, have we forgotten as educators the purpose of play, right? What play teaches us, um, how we learn to communicate, problem solve, and just also enjoy ourselves so that we're disarmed and ready to learn, our brains ready to learn. So it just, I think that's one of the things that's pretty heartbreaking for me um, about education is that we, we are squeezing more play out of it. And so for me, it is important that when I'm working with clients, whether a person or a group, I'm infusing play into what we do. There is laughter in my coaching sessions, right? I'm asking people to try to illustrate this thing or, you know, try something new. And when mistakes are made, it's not about, you know, again, how dare you? And I hope you feel deep guilt about it. But how can we take that seriously? And also, okay, let's, okay, let's, let's not take ourselves so seriously that then we can't come back and pick up where we started. So play and joy are really important to me. Um, and I think that we, we are not practiced enough, unfortunately, as adults at just continuing to play if it's not competitive, or if it doesn't like get us something like gambling. Um, it's just being able to have that like faculty meetings, 
where is the laughter, right? What games are we playing that then people can practice and say, oh, this would be great to bring into my homeroom. This would be great to bring into my advisory because I didn't just have fun, but I also recognize that there's some skill in this. Um, and so I right now, what some of the things I'm trying to do to remind myself to also like not just stick with just work, suffer and go is to read things like I'm trying to learn more from the nap ministry, who's really that, you know, that reminder, like we, we are human beings, right? We must nap, we must rest in order to do this powerful work. Um, and also Adrienne Marie Brown, I hope to get into her book this summer, Pleasure Activism, right? And just this reminder that like our heroes in this work who were humans, they did not just work, 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 and then go. They were also like social beings. They they loved each other. They were in community. And I just don't want to, I don't want to get to the point where we're like, yeah, we're liberated and we're free. And then we're turning around like, what do we do now? Because we haven't learned how to be in company with one another, um, and which we can already see inklings of, right? That's not unrealistic when we think about folks who go on vacation and don't know how to actually pause and just be with themselves or with others. If we can't do that in two weeks on vacation, what are we going to do if we actually reach that hopeful point of being liberated and free? Yes. So we play. <laughs> yeah. Got to center joy. We really do. We have to. And I, I think, you know, it, it's not as though this work and this learning happens overnight, happens within a year. So, yes. you know, yes. what you're talking about, too, in my mind is sustaining it, right? Yes. That's it's it. about sustaining it. I'm so happy that you brought up the Nat Ministry. We're going to link to that account. I I mean, I, I feel like every time they pop up in my social media feed, I'm like, oh, that message feels like, yeah, yeah, goes yeah. right to I my heart. Pre-ordering the book. There's a, um, Trisha, is it Trisha Hersey? I'm messing up her name. Now I'm going to forget her name, but she has a book coming out. So it's, yeah, I'm excited to to take a look more at her work and scholarship. I will I will look out for that as well. And Adrienne Marie Brown, you know, I I emergent strategy is for me forever one of the most important texts that I have read and reread. Um I, I really love that you've pointed back to their work as well. Um we we've talked about Adrienne Marie Brown on the show before. So you know, I love that because you're also reminding us to think about how we are seeing joy and play modeled within maybe our professional development libraries yes. who are our mentors for joy and play. So, so thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, your website, I, I, you know, again, there's so much happening on your website. Listeners go there, pause this episode, <laughs> go there. Now um, you offer so many different services. And one that I was really just, I gravitated towards, I found fascinating was the visual facilitation sessions. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear more about how they work. Um, and also, you know, we're talking about play and joy. Mm -hmm. How do they feel as an experience? Ooh, I love that question. Yes. Yes. Um, we have to tap into our feelings more. So those, so the visual, visual facilitation sessions, um, again, were born out of a workshop that I attended with Kawhi Lai of Vizlet and Rosetta Lee, who's just a phenomenal consultant and educator, educator, first of all things. Um, they did a workshop called, Do You See What I Mean? Facilitating Courageous Conversations Visually. And I attended that and 
it shifted the way that I facilitated. It shifted the way that I also thought about this use of visuals because as a studio art major, um, I actually was doing less and less art because there was a sense of what it needed to be in order to be considered art and this finished product. And I wasn't using visuals in my work because of that. And I went to that workshop and Kawhi just reminded me and, and everyone in attendance how powerful visuals are, right? Like how they work for our brain and our brain actually processes visuals so many times faster than words, but we're such a word focused society. Um, and so we lose some of the meaning making that visuals can bring. And so I, I used their work throughout that next year. And because I shared back with them what I was using, they invited me to co-facilitate. So I've been co-facilitating that workshop with them. And we met um, Ray Yang in one of those workshops. And they now join Kawhi and I for a monthly meetup called Visual DEI. I think now it's Visual DEI Demos. And that's where we, anybody who's come to our workshops, we just invite you, come out every month. We're going to be bringing like some topic or concept that we're like, I want to introduce this, but I'm trying to figure out a way to make it visual. And we're going to figure it out together. And so we literally meet up for an hour. Somebody brings a topic or they may even have a visual that they're saying, here's what I've been using. What feedback can you give me? And we play around with that for an hour. Um, we usually introduce Kawhi, Ray or I will introduce some type of visual um, introduction or what do you call it? Like an energizer. Um, so it might be, for example, a sheet of emojis and you draw your own emoji to share how you're doing. So we always do some type of introduction and check-in that's visual. Again, so people can immediately take that and use it in their work. But then, then yeah, the next 45 minutes are just filled with us thinking visually and playing together. Um, and in some ways, sometimes we're processing. So in the wake of a lot of the anti-Asian hate that was happening, we had one session where we got together and again, we processed what was happening visually. So we used a tool called the visual decoder, which is actually in the workbook. We use that to process our feelings around what was happening and then discuss it as a group. Again, modeling, modeling using visuals in new ways. It's what it feels like to be in those sessions. Um, one, it feels good to be in community. Like it's a space where we truly are coming together and celebrating each other. Um, we're allowing ourselves to be open to learning and making mistakes. And also it just, yeah, it feels good to be learning, but in a new way. Um, I think in many ways too, when I think about that joy and play, it's a space that really centers that. I can be tired going in and I'm like, all right, let me do this. And then I can rest after I leave energized because I'm just like the energy that that group brings, um, it's, yeah, what's the word? Where it's attractive and you, like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm missing the word, but either way, it's something that you take with you. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, it's a group that I'm excited to engage with on a monthly basis um, and hope that more people can join us. Yeah. I mean, I, I think even just the notion of auditing, for energy, right? Is the experience energy yes. building, energy yes. sucking? Is it sort of like Telling you. energy neutral? It's important to think about. Um, so again, I, I will be sure to link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I, I just think that's, um, you know, again, that's a really exciting opportunity again. And I love that, as you said, it, it's playful, right? Yes. Um, I, I really love that so much. Yeah. Um, 
again, uh, also in the show notes, there will be a link to an article that you authored, which is called Poetry is a Joy, Using Poetry as a Tool for Student Engagement. Yeah. Can you share more about what it means to embrace poetry and to leverage it for connection and community? Yeah, yeah. Here's what I'll say first is I'm not, I'm not a poet, right? I'm not an English teacher. I'm not a poet historian. <laughs> I don't have in my head, like here are my top 10 poets. And I do recognize just the deep power of poetry um, as an, to me, a written form and an art form that I think gets like almost like narrowly taught at times and narrowly shared about. And in many ways, I think, I don't know if infantil, infanticize, I'm missing the words, but I, I think sometimes we also try to make it childlike, right? It's just about rhyming, it's just about this. And there's such powerful poetry out there that I think if we looked at it in, in an expansive way, actually can help our students to process who they are, right? Um, to express themselves, to understand a worldview beyond their own, um, and just a form of powerful self-expression. And so there have been pivotal moments in my life where I recognize, and I think it was one of upon reflection, right? It wasn't that in those moments I was like, poetry is powerful, <laughs> but upon reflection, I'm like, yeah, there are pivotal moments where I recognize that poetry has really been a powerful tool, or I've seen myself in these moments like, wow. And, you know, so I have those you know, pieces of poetry on the wall or something like that. Um, I, I wish that it wasn't seen as just something for an English class and a unit, right? That we're in poetry unit in this English class, that's when you'll learn about poetry. Rather, you know, how beautiful will it be for a science teacher to bring in a powerful piece of poetry about environmentalism or the impact of environmental racism, open their class with that. And then as a class, now we're talking about the impacts of, of the environment, right? We're talking about, um, we can do an experiment, we can harken back to a line in the poem, just to see poetry as expansive and as a learning tool, as well as a tool for self-expression about, I don't know how many years ago, but when I was in my um, the school, the second school that I was working in, I taught a class just for a semester um, around storytelling. Storytelling as a as a form of expression, but also as a way to counter mainstream narratives. And in that class, I introduced my um, students to a poem by J. Mace the Third. If you're not familiar with him, just phenomenal. Um, artist and poet, but also activist and does a lot of work around um, trans, trans identity, but also looking at the intersection of religion um, and just yeah, powerful work. So Jamie's has a poem and it's up on YouTube where he, he shares it called the platypus poem, zone of rarity. And it's such a powerful poem, just spoken word. I played that for my students. We actually listened to it two or three times, right? The first time is just listen to it. The second time was to, you know, to listen and pay attention to some of the ways that Jay Mace is expressing himself. And I think the third time it was to read the captions, right? And notice some of where Jay Mace purposely put some capitalization in and what's the why behind that. And then um, luckily he was able to visit the class and lead students through a poetry exercise. But that poem, I could see certain students in the class kind of perk up in terms of right recognizing ways in which their identity was being affirmed through that poem. So to not just have a teacher have a safe zone sign, for example, on your door to say, yes, 
sure, look at me. I have a sign. But am I talking about and bringing identities into the classroom in a way that's not tokenizing? And so, yes, I'm bringing trans and non-binary identities into my classroom through this poem, this affirming poem that really calls things out. It's a declaration of self and community love, of pride, and also calls out, right, some of the hatred that happens around um, folks. And being able as a teacher to speak about the power of this poem and have students talk about it and without saying, do you see yourself represented? Was this powerful for you? But understanding that every student in that class, regardless of their gender identity, right, can, it's gaining something from this moment and from this powerful poem as well. So I, I just think that poetry, there are so many forms of written and artistic work that we limit to certain areas instead of recognizing how powerful it would be if we really did more interdisciplinary work with our young people. And hey, you know, I feel like COVID, perfect lesson for us on the intersection of science and communication, right? Did we make those messages easily, yeah. easily accessible? Yes. Um, yes. So, you know, again, very, very relevant for us, the world that we're living in right now. Mm -hmm. um, I just, again, I'm so grateful for you sharing your expertise yeah. and your vision with us. Um, and I, I feel like I need to go back to something that you said in your introduction about, you know, just the books that you are into, because of course, we, we're also coming up to a time that for many educators, this is a time for healing and rest. Mm -hmm. So um, if you have a book that you would recommend, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm always, I'm a big reader. I love recommendations. Okay. Okay, I'll just let me just share what I'm reading now because it's hard. I'm sitting here like looking at a stack of books behind my computer. <laughs> so here's the first thing I'll admit. I go through periods where I'm like heavily working and then I, I cannot take in books that are that would enhance the work I'm doing because it just it's a lot for my brain. So I love reading YA novels and um, probably in the last year I tried to find any with like black women on the cover, young black women doing magic. So that was a fun um, time I was spending. I'm trying to now dip back into my professional reading. <laughs> so um, one of the books that I have that I'm listening to on Audible is The Hospicing of Modernity. Now I'll tell you this, <laughs> like it is powerful, but um, the author of that spends the first, you know, introduction saying, if you're not ready for this book, don't keep reading. Like this book is going to shift how you look at the world and how you... And it, I, oh, it's, it's powerful. I'm, I'm reading that. So I would say like, just one, just check into it. Right. It, it's been so affirming so far. Like, yes, exactly. That's how I felt. So the hospicing of modernity, um, the other book, which I've started and I'm just so excited to make my way through is another one in the emergent strategy series. We will not cancel us by Adrian Marie Brown, where she, I think pulls in um, one of the essays she did, but just beautifully also talks about the feedback she received from that. And um, uh, yeah, it just, it's a, I get stressed out when people talk about cancel culture in this way of like, why are we holding people accountable? This is not that. And it's beautiful. Um, and the last book I would say was a book I just finished co-reading with somebody also from the Emergent Strategy series. Oh my gosh. Undrowned. Um, and that one is by Alexis Pauline Gums. Yes, Alexis Pauline Gums, yes. Undrowned by Alexis Pauline Gums. 
Um, it weaves in black feminist theory with learnings from marine mammals. Like if it sounds like what, it's because that's how powerful it is. Each chapter, there's about 19 chapters. They're like meditations. So the first one might be listen and you read it, you learn about the lessons that we can learn from marine mammals around that particular um, skill. And it, the, it oh, it's, it's also this beautiful love letter in a way. So those are the three books that are heavy on my mind right now. And I think that they both bring a lot of learnings for educators, but also again, just that self-reflection and self-work in terms of thinking about how am I showing up before I just think about like, what do I teach and do for, for others? I love that. And again, that notion of biomimicry, Adrienne Marie Brown talks about that in Emergent Strategy. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the references is the murmuration of birds and how when they are in flock together like that, they're each taking turn leading, right? Like they each kind of yeah. shuffle around. And I think about that all the time. And I love when I see a murmuration in the sky. Tamisha, I'm also gonna just, you know, you mentioned Audible books. Um, yeah. I, I absolutely love Audible books. Today, I started Janelle Monae's uh, brand new book, The Memory Librarian. Nice. Janelle like Monae narrates it. So if there's anybody else listening who also is with us on Audible books, it's another, it's a great experience. So I am enjoying yeah. that as well. Okay. Um, Tamisha, thank you again. Listeners, all of those links that we talked about, they are in the show notes. Yes. Check them out. Go get your copy of the From Within Workbook. Yes. Um, and um, Tamisha, again, I, I, I hope that you have a fantastic summer. It brings you more joy. It brings you more play. Thank you. Thank you. And everybody, I hope you stay connected. Um, I can be found on social media, so um, on all the platforms, but mostly Twitter at Tamisha, that's T-A-M as in Mary, I-S-H-A underscore consult, like a consultant. Um, and then on Instagram, it's Tamisha Williams Consulting. I'm on TikTok too, you know, I'm dabbling. <laughs> I'm there for fun to learn some new things. I think that one is also Tamisha underscore consult. So feel free to um, reach out and engage with me on those platforms. I definitely enjoy hearing from you. And for sure, those social handles will be there in the show notes. Um, again, Tamisha, you recently did sort of a, a TikTok reminder on why that workbook is one to check out. So um, that's, uh, again, watch that, check that out, and share it with other educators. Let's keep building our murmuration. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.